0: This morning we're continuing our sermon series on the kingdom. And uh, as I have been doing, I want to uh, review very briefly the message from last week. Uh, As I said, I do that to tie the messages together to give us some continuity. Uh, Last week's message uh, was entitled Kingdom Priority, Kingdom Priority. Of course, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things that you need will be added unto you. And We asked the question, how does prioritizing God's kingdom provide the proper perspective on earthly concerns? We said that first of all, prioritizing God's kingdom prevents earthly wealth from becoming an unhealthy focus. How many know earthly wealth can become an unhealthy focus? (laughs) I think that's true. Uh, secondly, we said prioritizing God's kingdom prevents unnecessary worry about daily needs. God said he would provide for our daily needs. And uh, therefore uh, we did not uh, do not need to worry about them. So that was last week, Kingdom Priority. The title of my message today is uh, my message today is found in uh, Matthew 7. Uh, the first twelve verses. The title today is uh, "Kingdom Relationships." Kingdom relationships. Uh, you know, we were uh, placed on this earth uh, not to be in isolation. Uh, you, you know, when when prisoners uh, in in prisons are punished for activity, where where are they put? They're put in solitary. And you know that may not sound like a big deal but I, I think they're kept there for 23 hours out of 24 in a day and a lot of them just almost go crazy because we were not designed to live life in isolation we were designed a man to live uh, in, in relationships and, uh, and relationships are Uh, something that God cares very deeply about. We say that God created us to have a relationship with us. God uh, is self-sufficient. Okay, God never needs and never has and never will need anything. He didn't create us because he needed us. He created us to share his love with us, to be in relationship with us. And uh, not only does he want relationship with us, but God cares about our relationships with others. Amen? And so Jesus had some uh, important words to say here in the first 12 verses of Matthew 7 about relationships in the kingdom of God. Keep in mind what we've said uh, the kingdom of God is. It is the right, the authority, to rule the sovereignty of Almighty God. And so when we sing, as we sang this morning, your kingdom come, we are saying, Lord, extend your, uh, your rule, your sovereignty throughout the earth as it is in heaven. And so uh, God wants to be sovereign. God cares, as I said, about our relationships. Uh, that's why it's, you know, John said in one of his epistles, you can't say I love God, but I hate my brother. God says that doesn't work because relationships matter to God. So uh, this morning, for the next few minutes, I want to answer the question, uh, what principles govern relationships in God's kingdom? What principles govern relationships in God's kingdom? And the first principle is this. Do not self-righteously judge others. Do not self-righteously judge others. We look here in Matthew 7, the first five verses. Jesus said, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, When all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Judge not, do not judge, or you too will be judged. Now, there's been misunderstanding about what do not judge means here in verse 1. Let me mention, first of all, what it doesn't mean. It doesn't, Christ is not here forbidding the use of courts of law. Okay, I don't recommend you go to a judge in his courtroom and quote uh, self-righteously quote Matthew seven one and say do not judge, or you you may be in a different kind of room with bars in it. You know, uh, he's not the, the context here doesn't have to do with courts of law, but with individuals. Secondly, do not judge does not mean that the Christian should never render any form of criticism or evaluation. We're going to see in a few minutes as we move through this message that Jesus said quite the opposite. We do need to evaluate. We do need uh, to uh, be discriminating in uh, what we ascertain uh, people's attitudes are. But uh, that being said, uh, what does it mean do not judge? Well, Jesus here is basically saying do not uh, take the place of God. Do not take the place of God. Do not set yourself up as the arbiter or the judge of someone else's motives. Boy, that's easy to do, isn't it? When someone does something, especially something we don't like. Oh, I know why they're doing that. I know what's behind her actions. I know why he said that. I know why they're doing that. Well, do you? How many times have we uh, uh, thought to uh, determine someone else's motives and what they're doing and what's behind it only to find out that we are wrong with a capital W? Right? I see some heads nodding. It's human nature though, isn't it? Uh, Jesus says, don't judge uh, because uh, you will be judged. In the same way you judge others, you will be judged with the measure you use. Uh, The first reason he tells us not to judge is that uh, you will be judged yourself with the same severity. Uh, The the logic is obvious. If you and I deem ourselves competent to serve as a judge for someone else, we can't claim to be ignorant of the standard of judgment, can we? And uh, as, as the saying goes, sometimes those chickens come home to roost. Right? So... Uh, Jesus has said, be careful uh, about judging other people uh, because you will be judged with the same standard of judgment. And the second reason given, uh, Jesus says, we need to beware of hypocrisy. We've seen that word before in the Sermon on the Mount. We said that a hypocrite is a play actor, right? He's someone who is... Uh, purporting to be something other than what he is. He is putting forth a facade, a front, that communicates that he is something other than he really is. We know what a hypocrite is. And Jesus here is teaching by hyperbole. He presents to us a, a really ludicrous, you know, absurd picture. He says, you're trying to get the little speck out of somebody else's eye. You got a little something in your eye there. And he said, all the while, you have this big plank sticking out of your own. (laughs) I said it was a ludicrous picture. The New American Standard Bible translates it, uh, you know, log. Either either, either word you use, a, a plank or a log, you know, uh, and, and of course, that's, a, that's a, an absurd picture, but, but that's the comparison. He says, You, you, you want to fault someone for some minor indiscretion, some minor fault, something they did, and you want to judge their motives, and here it's as if you have a plank sticking out of your own eye. You have your own problems, you have your own issues, you have your own faults. And Jesus says, You hypocrite. Anybody who says Jesus pulled his punches doesn't read the gospel, okay? Jesus said, you hypocrite. He said, first take that huge, that big old plank, that log out of your own eye before you try and help someone with a speck in their eye. In other words, clean up your own action. Take care of your own self. Deal with your own motives. Deal with your own actions. Boy, that's a word we need to hear, isn't it? Because it's all too easy to judge other people. And as, as I said a moment ago, we can, we can judge their motives and we can say we know what's behind something and we find out we were totally wrong. Meanwhile, someone else can point at, at you or me and say, what about your issue? Some of you, a number of you are too young to remember this, but some of you may remember the televangelist scandals in the 80s when televangelist uh, Jim Baker had his, his moral failure and, and was disgraced and actually went to jail for a time. And there was another televangelist named Jimmy Swaggart. Remember Jimmy? And uh, Jimmy described Jim Baker as a cancer. That's a quote on the body of Christ. But it was less than a year later, I believe. It was a short time later when Jimmy Swaggart's own indiscretions came to light. And of course, the scorn of the world was heaped on him. And now that was years ago, and 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 everyone's moved on. But but the point is, that was a, a real example of what Jesus is talking about here. We need to be careful about pointing the finger. We need to be careful about judging other people and their motives. Because that same judgment Jesus said will come back on us. Heard a story about. Um, South African officials making a gruesome discovery. They found the remains of three men, along with a high-powered rifle, an axe, and some shoes and clothing. They had slipped into an animal uh, preserve to poach rhinos, but instead they were eaten by a pride of lions. We better be careful when we want to go rhino hunting. There might be a pride of lions headed for us. You get the point, don't you? So, there's no place in the kingdom of God for self righteousness. We're all sinners saved by grace. We all have flaws. And listen, you know, you could have a problem that I could point the finger at because that's not my problem. But I would really hate for you to get a look at the issues that are my problem because I have my own set and you have your own set. Point taken. So so the first principle in uh, kingdom relationships is don't self-righteously judge other people. Let's have humble spirits before others, recognizing I have my own issues in my own life. Now, what's the second principle? Second principle is this. It's found in verse 6. It says, do not be naive about those who openly despise the gospel. Do not be naive about those who openly despise the gospel. Verse 6 says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, this is the opposite of self-righteously judging people. This is naively... Uh, taking people uh, and 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 just assuming that they are open to the gospel and the things of God, um, although saints are not judges, they are not as C. H. Spurgeon said, we're not simpletons either. The dogs mentioned here weren't your little uh, pet that you have at home. You know, this wasn't little fluffy. You know, or buttons or whatever little cute name you give to your favorite household pet. These were scroungy mongrels that roamed the city streets and searched for food, and they were past. They were mangy. They were uncared for, and they could be vicious at times. And, and, and so they were these mangy, dirty animals. And Jesus said, do not give to these dogs what is sacred. And then he says, do not throw pearls to pigs. The pigs were considered unclean, especially the Jews. In 2 Peter 2.22, Peter said, A dog returns to his vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. You see, a Jew would never give holy food, uh, would never give something sacred to the dogs. Similarly, no one would give pearls... To pigs. How many know pigs can't appreciate what the value of pearls is, can they? Someone speculated, if you actually literally threw pearls to pigs, they might mistake it as as nuts or peas or something. And then when they couldn't eat it, they might turn and attack you. Which is what Jesus said, they might turn and tear you to pieces. What is he talking about? Uh, He's talking about people, not just people who are unsaved, but he's talking about people who have defiantly, contemptuously, and decisively rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 10, 14, Jesus said, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off of your feet uh, when you leave that home or town. In Acts eighteen six, when rejected by the Jews, Paul said, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. There are people... In our world, you know them. You rub shoulders with them. I'm not just talking about people who don't know the Lord, uh, because obviously we we share the gospel with uh, with with the lost, and we should have a heart to do that. But I'm talking about people who are contemptuous of the gospel, who repeatedly reject the gospel. You ever share the gospel sincerely and 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 you know, with great intentions, and and you're sharing the gospel, and you could just you could just see it in, in the faces of the people you could hear it in their voice, there's a wall. You ever know people like that? And they, they are not, I, I mean, they, they can barely be polite enough to listen. They're contemptuous. They're defiant of the gospel. Listen, if, if, you'd have to be living under a rock somewhere uh, to, to not know that our culture is increasingly hostile to the gospel and to biblical values. I mean, this is, you know, this is in our headlines every day with the culture wars and, 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 and the, the, uh, the things that are being imposed upon. Uh, you know, I, I read the other day that, uh, you know, transgender uh, women, uh, natural born men who are transgender women will now be uh, housed in, in many universities as women. So uh, a, a, a girl attending that university could have a, a natural born male as a, as a roommate and have nothing to say about it. I mean, our, our our culture, where is our culture going? So we know that there is hostility to the gospel. We, we know that some people are just close-minded. Jesus said, don't spend a lot of your time dealing with those people. You love them, you, you you bless them, you pray for them, you live an example before them. But Jesus said, don't throw your pearls before swine. Don't spend your time, uh, you know, Pressing and knocking and pushing at the hearts of those people. Find someone who will be receptive to the gospel. That may sound harsh, but that's what Jesus said. Because we know there are hearts that are completely closed to the gospel. Salesmen are are taught to spend most of their time going after, quote, hot uh, prospects. It's not that they don't want to make a sale to anyone and everyone. But they go, right? Right? They go to where there is fertile ground, for where there's a need for the product or the service they're selling, and so and so they 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 look for people who who are interested and who want to buy something. We get vendors come in here all the time off the street. I get phone calls. Some of them just cold call. They come in and they're selling something that they think we need as a church, or as an organization, and um, and many of them are good services or good products, but. We, we, you know, I, I just tell them up front we really don't need it. Some will be a little more persistent. Yeah, but if I could just show you that, and I could, and uh, no, let me, let me, let me repeat myself. I appreciate you thinking of us. Appreciate you stopping by, but we're not in need of your service. Okay. Well, if I could just though show you, uh, no, let me, let me say again. <laughs> you know, you ever, you ever have those kind of phone calls? You ever have, Of course you have. And, and and but but the smart ones will say, okay thank you for your time, and they move on to someone else. Why? Because they don't want to waste any more time with me. Right? They, they're like, this is, this is not going to work. And that's in essence what Jesus is saying. It's not that we don't care about those people, or that they don't need Jesus, they don't need to, to receive Christ, uh, but Jesus said, hey, if, if, they're, if they're cold, if they defiantly and, 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 and vehemently reject the gospel, Jesus said, move on. So uh, we're not to judge other people's motives, but we are to be critical thinkers. We are to evaluate where, what people are. And in and, essence, and, 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 and Jesus said, just take them at face value. When they say no and they're not interested, now can God change a hard heart? God can do anything because he's God. So that's why we pray for him and we love him. And if, if, you know, if, if we have contact with him, we, we, we live out the love of Christ in front of him. But, but as far as... You know, pushing and, and fighting, we, we just say no. We, we, we're not naive about those who openly despise the gospel. What's the third principle of kingdom relationships? It's this. Um, it's expectantly ask God for guidance and assistance in relationships. Uh, look at verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, it is easy, and I, I confess I've probably done it, it is easy to divorce this uh, set of verses from its context and to speak in general about prayer. And listen, uh, there, there, there is a principle that God does answer prayer and he uh, does respond when we're persistent in prayer for anything we need. But we need to understand the context in which Jesus says uh, these words. It's in the context of relationships. And so really what he is saying is, you know, relationships can be hard. Can can we all agree on that? Relationships can be tough. Sometimes you do your best and it's like, wow, it's just not, this is tough. And so Jesus is saying here, you need need to ask the Father for guidance. You need to ask the Father for assistance. And, And he uses the phrases, ask, seek, and knock, they seem to be in an ascending scale of, of urgency, uh, Kind of like when a child asks for his mom and doesn't find her and he gets no response. And so what does he do? He begins to seek for her. That's the next step, right? Begins to look for her. And then he comes to a closed door. And what does he do? Mom! So, so asking and then seeking and then knocking. And, and, and Jesus says, he reiterates... He says, ask and and, and you shall receive, Seeking you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. And then he reiterates the notion of answered prayer. For everyone who asks, receives, he who seeks, finds, and to him and knocks, the door will be opened. Uh, and Je- so Jesus is saying here that God answers prayer. How many believe that? You, you know, uh, sometimes we... Forget what a powerful, potent weapon we have, what a tool we have uh, to be able to go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. And Jesus says, if you ask, if you seek and knock, and you've heard it said that the tenses in the original Greek are uh, 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 tenses that indicate uh, ongoing action, persistence, in other words. Don't just ask once, don't just seek once, don't just knock once, but keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Be persistent in prayer and pray expectantly. And, and, and Jesus gives a couple of illustrations to show how God is uh, uh, inclined to hear and answer our prayer. He says in verse 9, A father would never give a stone to a son who asked for bread. Now bread in Jesus' day was, you know, it wasn't know was a loaf of wonder bread, okay? With the little little circles on it. They didn't have that with the cellophane. Okay, but it was a round, like a round, flat cake. Kind of looked like a big, round, flat stone. And uh, so, he's saying here, he says, you know, if a son asks a father for bread, he's not going to give him a... That, well, here, this looks like bread. Here's a good old stone for you. What kind of father would do that? Then he said, if a son asks for fish... Now, bread and fish, they were staples in, uh, in the diet back in those days. I mean, you know, they didn't, they didn't have, uh, you know, the, 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 the culinary uh, choices usually that, that we have, anything approaching that. Bread and fish, man, that, those were the basics. And uh, he says, if a son asks for fish, his father won't give him a, a snake. What kind of father would do that? No, no kind of father would do that. And, and, and so what's Jesus' point? Well, he, he presents a contrast. He says, basically, he says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, what does he mean by that? He means if imperfect, selfish humans, that's us, right? I have two heads nodding, okay. We're imperfect and we're selfish, all of us. But speaking specifically of, of dads, he says, if imperfect selfish humans give good, good things to their children, it's only logical to conclude that a good and loving heavenly father would give good things to his children. I mean, that is basic logic, isn't it? He says we're we're you know we're 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 selfish, we're we're self-indulgent, we're we're self-motivated, and yet we we give good gifts to our kids. Right? How much more? How much more will our loving Heavenly Father, our Creator, how much more will he give us what we need? How much more will he bestow on us everything that we need? And so uh, he says, uh, man, relationships are hard. But ask, seek, knock, and you'll receive. I heard another illustration of asking, seeking, and knocking. Imagine you're looking for someone. Let's say it's your long lost friend from high school. What's the first thing you do? Well, you ask around. Hey, you uh, ancient classmate, now, whatever happened to so-and-so? And you begin asking, oh, oh, yeah, OK. Oh, they live, over, OK, they're still in the area, OK. You've asked about them. And then what do you do next? You uh, you Google them, right? You go on the internet. You look, you look, you know, see if you can find their address. You begin to seek for them. You're looking for them. Where can I find them? And so then you find an address and you drive to their place and you happen to see them drive in and go into their garage and go in the house and you walk up to the door. You hear the TV play and you know they're at home. What do you do? Well, I, okay, I found them. That's. I, I'm glad I found them. You just, no, you don't do that. What do you do? You've asked, you've, you've sought, what do you do? You don't get an answer, what do you do? La- yeah, until you break something. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you break their front door is what you do. And uh, so you knock, you persist. Why? Because you want to, to uh, uh, achieve your goal. And, and it's not until you knock that that reunion takes place. Ask. Seek and knock. Someone once said, we quit praying too soon. What are you seeking God? What are you praying to God about? What are you asking him for? What, what do you need him to help you with? What, what relationship is, is, is uh, a source of anxiety for you and difficult for you? Ask God about it. Seek him. Knock on heaven's door. God will answer your prayer. Why? Because he's predisposed. He is waiting for us. Did you know that God is waiting to hear from you? Did you ever ever send somebody a message? I know you have. And uh, you want to hear back from them and you don't? You send them a text? Why didn't you answer my text? You're waiting to hear. God's waiting to hear from you and me. God's waiting to hear from you and me. And so he tells us to expectantly uh, ask, seek, and knock, expectantly uh, ask him for guidance and assistance in our relationships. What's the fourth principle of kingdom relationships? It's this, treat others the way you want to be treated. Verse 12, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. What is this known as? The Golden Rule. Do you know why it's called the Golden Rule? Or one, one explanation I heard is one of the Roman emperors actually had it written on the palace wall in gold. It became known as the Golden Rule. Uh, this rule has been found elsewhere, usually in negative form, in rabbinic Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism. But here, Jesus states it in positive form. Instead of saying, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you, you know, stating in negative form, Jesus says, do to others what you would want them to do toward you. And, and in other words, one should always try to see the other person's point of view. It's hard to do sometimes, isn't it? Do to others what you would want them to do for you. And Jesus said, this sums up the law and the prophets. That's that's saying a lot. The the law and the prophets refers, in Jesus' day, was a statement. I mentioned this earlier in the series. That was a statement that referred to the entire Old Testament. Jesus said, do to others what you would want them to do to you. This sums up the whole law and prophets, the whole Old Testament. It sums up how we are to relate to other people. And it's so simple. We all know it. Yeah, I I just read the scripture. You all know it's golden rule. We know that. We probably learned that when we were this high, you know? But it's one thing to be able to quote. It's another thing to do it, isn't it? Do to others what you would want them to do to you. There was a fascinating study on the principle of the golden rule conducted by a man named Bernard Rimland, the director of the Institute for Child Behavior Research. And he found that the happiest people are those who help others. Each person, I think this is interesting, each person involved in the study was asked to list 10 people he knew best and label them as happy or not happy. Could you do that? Could you think, I don't mean right now, but could you think of ten people and list them as happy generally or not happy? Then they were to go through the list again and label each person as selfish or unselfish. The same list, same list. They were to use the following definition of selfishness. A stable tendency to devote one's time and resources to one's own interests and welfare. An unwillingness to inconvenience oneself for others. That was the definition of selfishness they were to use. In categorizing their results, uh, they found that all the people labeled happy were also labeled unselfish. And the ones labeled unhappy were the ones they labeled selfish. And the conclusion was that those whose activities are devoted to bringing themselves happiness are far less likely to be happy than those whose efforts are devoted to making others happy. That's a a bit ironic, isn't it? It's a paradox. The more time and effort we put into making other people happy, the happier we will be. Why is that? Because that's how God created us. That's how he wired us to be in relationship with other people. And so, that's why he said, treat others the way you want to be treated. The more you do that, the more happiness and fulfillment you will find as well. And, uh, Again, we all know this. We all know the, the golden rule. But, boy, it's another thing to follow, isn't it? So in conclusion this morning, we asked the question, what principles govern relationships in God's kingdom? First one was this. Do not self-righteously judge others. You know? Hey, man, I, I'm, I'm in a place of judgment. I can, you know, we don't say that, but our attitude does. Now, you better get it together. Secondly, don't be naive about those who openly despise the gospel. There will be people who will never bow the knee, who will never soften their hearts to the gospel. It's sad. It's tragic. As a matter of fact, it's, it's the most tragic thing in all of the universe. But it's true. Don't be naive about those who openly despise the gospel. Thirdly, expectantly ask God for guidance and assistance in relationships. God will help you. So someone, man, you're having a difficult time with, God will help you if you will be persistent and expectant in going to him in prayer. And fourthly, treat others the way you want to be treated. Just do for them what you would like to have done for yourself. It's a simple principle, isn't it? But we forget it sometimes. And and, and this, this goes to very basic things. Sometimes it's just a matter of we, we speak harshly, you know? Or we speak, with, we speak with an edge to our voice, and we snap at people. I know we all have bad days, you know? Anybody here, here have, ever have a bad day? A few, a few of us, OK. The rest of you aren't sure, but we all have bad days. But but, but sometimes we can be so sharp in our tongue. and And if we stop and thought about it, we'd say, man, I don't like it when other people talk to me that way. And so we treat them the way we would want to be treated. Sometimes it's good to take an inventory of our relationships. Um, Are there relationships that you have that you wish were better? Probably that's true for most of us. You know, we can't control the other person. We can't... uh, We can't... uh, you know, manipulate them or control what they do, but we can control how we do. And it's amazing, you know, it, it says in the scriptures, a soft answer turns away wrath. What does that mean? It means how we respond to people affects how they will respond to us. How many have found that to be true? Yes. So, we, 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 want, we want God's will in our relationships,